Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. I wish I could give you all big, big um, non-COVID hugs, 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 and talk to you about a subject that I have had a lot of experience with, embarrassment. So, you know, I spend a lot of time meditating, focusing on spiritual things, trying to be above the noise, you know, better than my ego. But sometimes I get tested, folks, and this week I was tested. So I, as you know, I occasionally write myself a book. And when you write a book, then people have you come on various venues to chat about the book. And just now it's getting to the COVID place where people are actually starting to ask me to come into television studios instead of just zooming out like we're doing right now. So last week I had a TV thing in a studio for the first time in like, I don't remember how long. And I went in, it was a major network um, and I met with the, and I was in there, I had to do my own hair and makeup, which is a nightmare because TV makeup is a whole different deal. Um, and then I did all my makeup, but then I had to wear a mask and then I took the mask off in the bathroom and I had the whole mask crease, which trust me, I just don't have extra room for that. So then I just stuffed a lot of toilet paper into my mask and along the sides to my ears. And so the band wouldn't make these marks in my face. Then I just walked around with these big puffy wads of toilet paper sticking out of my face. And and still I was fine because, you know, all right, I can handle this stuff. People are going to understand. I don't even care if they laugh. I am fine. So then in comes the TV anchor and he is the loveliest man. And he has a really interesting life story of his own, which is his to tell. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but he's been through a lot of like shaming in his life and uh, for various reasons, not neurotypical. Um, he's gay. He, I think he'd be fine because he's like a huge advocate for gay rights, if I told you that. So um, he starts talking to me and he's just read my book or he's heard my book on audiobook, which makes him feel like a deep friend. Like we're already... He's been listening to me for like eight hours. I've been talking to him for eight hours, but really it's more like my entire life plus eight hours and he's been listening. There's a bond. So he starts asking me questions and I start answering them. Now, a lot of the book talks about things that have happened to me in my life that were intense for me. And this guy being a good journalist is very inquisitive. So he starts asking me about all the other things in my life. Like, okay, so you're gay, but you were married. So what was that like? And take me through your whole romantic history. And I was like, well, all right. Um, and I, we talked about many things, many things. And then he said, as he was getting up to go into the, we were just in the green room, socially distanced. And he was going into the TV studio proper. And he said, um, are you okay if I talk about any of this stuff? There was a list of questions. This stuff wasn't on them, on that list. But I just wrote this book called The Way of Integrity that says you have to be the same person in all places at all times or you lose bits of your soul. So when I made that vow to live in integrity and to be kind of public about my life, part of the deal is I really don't have any secrets. I really don't. And so I said to this lovely man, absolutely, sure. I mean, I put way more stuff in the original book 
then actually ended up in the final copy because my editors were like, oh, honey, way too much. <laughs> so I was like, it's fine with me if you want to talk about it all. So then we started the interview and, and, and we talked about it all. And I was like, whoa, that was a, that's bracing. You know, he asked me a question. I'm like, sure, let's talk. And I finish and he comes up to me and he goes, you know, it's just so incredible for, for me. Like the things that used to embarrass me are the very places I want to lean in. And I think, I think he's reassuring me that, that I don't, I should deal with the fact that I just did something really embarrassing. And then people in the studio and other people started saying things like, you know, when I get home at night, I have to put on one of those dog collars to keep me from chewing on my own ankles or I'm making these up. Or like, my cousin fell in love with a boa constrictor and they seem very happy together. Still, like, weird. It was weird. Like, people would, you know, and so different, like, the guy taking off my earpiece is telling me things and folks that are giving me snacks in the green room are telling me things. And then I get in my, in the car to drive home and the guy is telling me all about his internet dating history. And at this point, I think, People are telling me things that pretty much show that they think if I could talk about things that are as embarrassing as I just shared on national TV, they might as well tell me everything in their lives. Like they're coming up with the weirdest, my cousin, my second cousin twice removed and so on. In other words, they're trying to kind of comfort me and also the bar seems to have been set quite high. So by the time I get home, I'm becoming embarrassed. And I mean, I can handle a few things, <laughs> but the thing about a TV studio is you just, there's the crew, there's the other guy talking to you, there's a camera, and you don't really see how many people are going to be watching it. And I lay there in bed thinking about all the people in their ordinary American lives who maybe don't have cousins that married boa constrictors or whatever, who are going to be watching this interview going, <gasps> yeah, and I'm thinking... I'm thinking that I've brought shame upon myself and my family. And uh, it's all true. I mean, I don't know if I brought shame upon me and my family, but everything I said was true. So if it brings shame upon me, I deserve it. So usually I would rise above, but uh, this was a pretty big dose. It's like the first time I've been out of the house in three years or whatever. I don't even remember. 30 years at this point. Who knows? Anyway, I lay there. And I thrashed and I tossed and turned. It's almost never that something bothers me enough to keep me awake, but I was so embarrassed. I kept going over these things and like, okay, how did I say this? What did his face look like? How did the people react? Did I hear someone drop a pen out of, because it was an accident or because he was so shocked that he just went, no. Oh. Uh, and was it okay? And was it not okay? And am I okay? And am I not okay? And it was just, it was hellish. And then... I started going through my audiobook collection looking for something that could make me distract me. And I happened upon, in this very sort of magical way that books have of interacting with me, even audiobooks, I happened upon an audiobook that said, you know, sometimes in life we have to deal with difficult things, feelings like, oh, fear, anger, embarrassment. And I was like, uh huh, this man's going to tell me about embarrassment. So I, I put my earphones in and I got ready and uh, relearned something I should have known. Now, here's the thing about 
trying to, having something awkward in your in your life history that you want to keep from other people it's a lot of work to keep it down and there's a lot of false presentation of self because you're thinking okay here i am i'm appearing as this kind of person i've got these secrets maybe i'm not the worst person in the world but gosh i'm kind of glad nobody here knows that about me only once it's been on tv it could be that all of them know about it you just don't know so I'm trying desperately to feel my way to a different place, to feel happier, to think everything's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to push it down, focus on other things. And this man in the tape, which is called Breaking Through Difficult Emotions, Shinzen Young, one of my favorite soul teachers, he says, here's the thing. You have to absolutely experience it. The way you're going to get past this negative feeling is to have a complete experience of the feeling. I was like, well, that's weird. So he literally says, if you're going to get over embarrassment, the only way is to have a complete experience of embarrassment. Now this thrills me because it doesn't make any sense. And I just love it when something pings in my attention, but it doesn't make much sense to me. It means I'm going to learn something. So he said a complete experience of embarrassment is first. Now, so everybody out there, whatever has embarrassed you in your life, Here's how to go about it, I'm feeling better. But it can also work with fear, anger, sadness, any other negative emotion. So first you decide to stop fighting it. And then you start to describe it. And this is exactly what we've been talking about with things like anxiety or chronic pain that is neuroplastic or whatever. You start, you invite the embarrassment to swell up, to be its absolute biggest. You stop running from it. You let it completely off leash. You stop straining against it. As Jung said, what we resist persists. And then you start to describe the physical sensation of embarrassment. So I was like, and I was really embarrassed, you guys. So I was like, all right, it starts, there's a tightness and a heat in my jaw and my neck and my throat. It's like it's scalding. And then it like radiates out through my whole body. And it's like, a pulsing wound that is like bigger than I am. Like, ooh, shame, shame, shame. And I'm just going to let it get as big as it wants to be. So at the as you describe it, and I'm describing the way it's affecting my whole body and it's going out into the room and it's red and it's pulsating. It's like I've hit my thumb with a hammer, only my thumb is bigger than the world. And um, I think, okay, now I am going to saturate it with two things, mindfulness and equanimity. This is the way of Zen and Shinzen Yang is a Zen monk. So I thought, all right, mindfulness, watch the sensation until it starts to change and describe the changes. Get so involved with the changes, like focusing on the changes in this thing that you forget, you almost take your attention off the content. You're just, it's like instead of describing water, you're describing the path of a river flowing. So, okay, here's this throbbing, burning sensation. Oh, now it's moving to the left. Oh, it's getting bigger and hotter. Now it's kind of like puffs of smoke are coming off it. Oh, this is interesting. It's turned yellow. So you're, you start to watch it move. Now, as it moves, it starts to shift things inside you psychologically. 
And in order to let this happen, you have to then bring equanimity to the party. So mindfulness is simply watching the process of something very, very intimately and then closely, close attention. Equanimity is remaining calm as all that happens. And you just, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to do anything. You're basically just bored. You're like, mm -hmm, yeah, mm, large, throbbing, yellow, puff of smoke emotion. Mm, yes, this happened to many people. Probably not as bad as being like thrown into the pit with lions in the Colosseum in Rome. You know, you just, you bring, you bring the calm part of yourself. In the meantime, mindfulness is still watching this massive emotion. So what happened is I leaned into it and that's exactly what this anchor person told me at the end of the interview. He said, the things that are, that used to embarrass me are things I now lean into. And so I allowed myself to greet my embarrassment with absolute mindfulness and without any resistance and immediately it started shifting and then I saw that the embarrassment was an aspect of ego that is burning in the fire of presence and this is the nature of all psychological suffering I know that I write about it all the time I've lived it in chunks but I've never done it with embarrassment and that's ironic because embarrassment is probably one of the signature emotions of the ego right oh I'm much more than that I'm, I'm much more normal than that no I'm not I'm weird and I watched it and I thought mm-hmm yeah I really am weird and that's okay to, to want to be less weird would be an act of ego. I keep talking about being bewildered, like if you listen to my podcast with Rowan. Bewildered is to go away from consensus and into your senses. Be what you are in your wild self and let the culture just cope with it as they want to. So um, I, wa I watched my ego in flames for the rest of the night. Got up about three in the morning. It sucked. I was really tired all day. <laughs> But now when that tape goes out, and it'll go out sometime next week, it's going to be kind of like when I went to Byron Katie's school for the work before the, the pandemic. One of the things that Byron Katie, one of my favorite teachers, spiritual teachers, had us do is write down, the we're in a room of a bunch of strangers, right? So she had us write down, here is what I most want, I least want you to know about me. So here's the thing I want to hide the most about myself. Write it down. So we all write it down. Then she says, now change the instructions. So it says, this is what I most want you to know about me. And we all did that. And sure enough, we found out that every single person who was carrying hidden shame, the spiritual impulse beneath embarrassment and shame is the desire for openness, the desire for to be seen, to be acknowledged with mindfulness and equanimity. So if we can do that to our own embarrassment, it brings us into a resting space. So am I, I'm still embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed. The dust has not settled. But you know what? It's great. I'm enjoying it. It's sizzling away at my ego. And I know that happiness lies down that path. So I am thrilled to be embarrassed. And, uh, I hope you guys all have something to be embarrassed about as well. <laughs>
because <laughs> it's a great way to get rid of your ego. Okay, let's go to um, some questions. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Shandy says about shame, I believe we've all been shamed and we have all shamed. Can we or should we apologize for shaming someone intention, unintentionally? Oh, yes, I would. I mean, it's if they thought, you know, it's, here's the thing. If you can do it with integrity, then do it. And by, and here's what I mean. If you have done something unintentionally, unintentionally that hurt somebody's feelings and you hear about it and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, like if I said to someone, well, uh, you know, people who've never had children don't understand, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't say that. But say I did and somebody in the crowd wanted to have children and couldn't or didn't have children and didn't think they should. That could be quite offensive. It's easy for me from my various entitlements to say things that are genuinely hurtful. When somebody brings that to my attention, oh, yes, I apologize immediately. There's a little bit of shame and embarrassment that I did that to someone. And the way to get out of that is to say without any reservation, I am so sorry. I see what you mean. I, when I put myself in your shoes, I would have felt exactly the same way. Thank you for enlightening me. I won't do it again. If I do do it again by accident, I'll be very sorry. You'd be amazed how that cleans you out. Now, however, if you said something like, uh, I, I'm gay and I'm proud, and you came up to me and you said, I don't want you talking that way. It offends me. There are children who could hear this broadcast. I would have to say to you, you know what? I really respect your position and I disagree with it. And I don't think there's any shame in being gay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking about it. So if you don't like that, I apologize. And you might want to give it some distance. But it's going to keep happening because I don't think what I did was wrong. Ro and I did a whole podcast on this called Unshameable. And we talk about how you figure out your values. Then if somebody's upset with you about something, you check to see, first of all, did you do something wrong? Did you do the act they accuse you of? Um, if you did, then do you believe it was wrong? If you believe it was wrong and you did it by accident or by inattention, you apologize. But if you didn't do anything wrong, refuse to be shamed. Ref like go in with mindfulness and equanimity to the part of you that says, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't be this way and question that until it goes away because your self-accusation is the problem in that case. Okay. So Gail says, I did this once sort of by accident, right after a mildly embarrassing situation. It worked completely. Whenever I remember the incident, I feel zero retroactive embarrassment. It's like I allowed my brain to chew on the experience as long as it wanted to, and then it just had enough and lost interest. <gasps> if you're not a life coach, Gail, you should be. You are floating my boat there, Gail Wallace Bazzano. Or Bazzano, I don't know how you say it, but I love it. Thank you so much for that. I have nothing to add to that. That's fantastic. 
Okay, Lindsay says, it's like when you're giving birth. The more you surrender and accept the pain, the less painful it is, the more comfortable and one you are with the whole process. That is so true. Um, uh, Beleza says, shame or remorse? What is the difference? Remorse is when you did something you that hurt somebody or that hurt you and you wish you hadn't done it. But like maybe you um, lost control of a car in the ice and, and crashed your parents' car and you feel bad about it. That's remorse. Or you got involved in gambling and you lost more money than you should. Remorse. Shame is when you violated your own values. So one of my values is integrity. So if I violated my integrity by refusing to let myself be embarrassed on national TV, is this making any sense? My social self was embarrassed to like open up about my whole private life on national TV. But my deepest value says that integrity is more important than my embarrassment or lack thereof. If I had hidden in order to be less embarrassed, I would have violated my own value of integrity. And for that, I would feel shame because shame is something that it, it's a signal to you that you're not doing what you want with your life. There's a different feeling that comes when people socially shame you and they're like, uh, 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 you're not good enough. You're bad for the, the following reasons. That's a social thing that's pushed onto you and you stop and think, is it my value? Are, are these people who are shaming me reflecting my own values? So uh, if somebody said to me, you know, how can you say you're pro-choice? You had a baby with Down syndrome and you chose not to do it and you should be ashamed to be openly pro-choice. And I would think, no, I'm not taking that shame because I don't believe I've gone to that mountain and I have found what my real values are. And my real value is that every single incident is different. And every single thing we do, especially with that kind of import in our lives, is up to our deepest heart to decide. And no one gets to decide for anyone else. That's my value. I'm not going to let you guys shame me. So, yes, this is how um, shame and remorse differ. One is just, oh, I did something wrong. I feel guilty. Sorry, I won't do it again. The other one is like, I violated a value. I violated your value, now you're mad at me. I violated my own value. Oh, that means I need to change. Okay, so here we go. Um, I was blindsided by a friend, someone says here. I'm having some trouble with, hang on just a second here. I have to do a technical thing. Aha, Kira says, I was blindsided by a friend breakup this week. Since I have lots of past experience with the mean girls, this has brought up a lot of stuff for me, in particular feeling embarrassed for having opened up so deeply with this person. Like how could I be so silly as to think that this person actually wanted to be my real friend? I find embarrassment is often connected to having opened up. Why is that? It's because our real selves are very tender, very vulnerable. And when we connect with people, when we share with people, we are literally allowing them to energetically join with us as one being. I mean, the ultimate uh, um, example of this is the physical communion of sexuality. And that's why when you have a sexual experience that is 
full of love and honesty, it's the absolute best connection. And when you have a sexual experience that is forced upon you, it is the absolute worst. Okay, it's not, there are no like halvesies in this. So when you open up to friendship and you become one with someone in this platonic way, and then you find out that it wasn't, they aren't the person you thought they were and that they've been into your intimate stuff and they've looked at you, they've seen you naked as it were. And so the potential for embarrassment is very high, especially if they're cruel, mean, if they talk about you to other people. I've had this happen a lot, not with, um, not with nakedness physically, but with people who I thought were really near and dear to my heart who um, then decided I was a really bad person or, or without my knowing went and said really, really, really mean things about me to other people. And um, here's the deal. It is calculated. This behavior is calculated to shame you into submission. It's meant to make you bow your head, do what people want, um, refuse to shine, keep yourself small, serve others instead of your own deepest wants and, and values. It's a form of social control. Shame is the most powerful force of social control. And so when we feel it, it influences our behavior a lot. When people impose it on us, it's horrific. It's literally the strongest socializing force that we can encounter. So here's the deal though, Kira. If you have, again, not violated your own values, if all you did was to allow someone in in good faith, and I call this an error of innocence in my book. If you really believed that they were wonderful and you let them in, there's no shame in loving. Not even if the other person is not who you thought, not only if they go and tell other people about you, not only, not even if they, you know, write mean things about you on the internet, trust me, <laughs> I've been there. Um, and you have to be able to let the embarrassment, to let the part of the shame that's affecting you burn. So do what I was suggesting earlier, allow it to be as big as it wants to be. Watch it, watch it, watch it without resisting it at all. Watch the pain of that friendship ending. Watch the pain of the betrayal, the pain of the self-recrimination. Watch it change. And I mean physically, the feeling will change. You, I can't emphasize this enough. You don't watch it in emotional terms. You watch it in physical terms. You don't say, I'm sad, I'm distressed, I'm upset. You say, okay, it's fiery or it's icy or it's prickly or it's green or it's black or whatever. And you watch it that way. And then you fill it with, okay, I wasn't outside my own value system. I was true to myself. I was true to my values or I made a mistake and people make mistakes and I can live with that. That's equanimity mindfulness and equanimity and this will not make it go away right like that what it will do is it'll burn the part of your ego that still believes that you have to be shaped by other people's values or by values you don't agree with that has to burn and it's not particularly comfortable but if you allow it with mindfulness and equanimity it burns rather quickly and it leaves you lighter it's like decluttering your house through sho shoving everything into a bonfire. <laughs> okay, Donna says, do you think you'll feel tentative about your next on-camera interview? I find that once I'm embarrassed, the hard part is facing that same situation again. No, because I've already, like I've already burned that part of the ego. Like I'll go on with even less uh, armoring the next time. I'm like, that's already out there. Might as well talk about it. 
Um, don't have any ego invested in it anymore. Had that ego, died. Oh, well. And that's why I'm really grateful for the many experiences, including having people write nasty things about me online, um, that have caused me to feel shame and embarrassment because it's burned up a ton of ego because I had a ton to burn and I'm working on the rest. Okay, Maria says, what if it's a physical feature that you yourself don't like, which makes you feel ashamed? Would leaning on it help? Leaning on it, if it is your elbow, might help. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This is a significant issue. Um, yeah, I have a physical feature that um, I'm embarrassed about. It's called my entire body. And I, I've spent a lot of time working on that one. And I think most people do, because just as soon as you get it used to the, your body the way it is, you turn 50 and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, what fresh hell is this? But here's the deal. That's all cultural. I remember going out and seeing a herd of horses for the first time, a herd of like wild horses. And I was with a friend who was a horse person, knew all about horses. And I was like, oh my God, look at that black horse. It's so beautiful. And she went, are you kidding? I mean, look at its face. It's like snub nosed and like, look at that, the way its stomach goes. And I was like, it's shiny, it's gorgeous, it's a horse, like what do you want? She had socialized views about what horses' noses should look like. I did not. I was, and in our Bewildered podcast, we talk about coming away from consensus, cultural consensus, and coming to our senses, which is seeing and feeling and hearing and tasting what's there in the moment. And when you see yourself without any cultural filter, you will see that you are beautiful. Just the way I saw that horse was beautiful. And it wasn't that I made a mistake. The mistake was the person losing the beauty of the animal because she had a bunch of cultural models in place. So as we get less and less cultured, more and more wild, we're much more free to love all of ourselves, including our bodies. Okay, so a couple more questions, then I'll let you go. Christine says, how do you suggest we who are learning this as adults teach it to the next generation? Basically, how do I teach my kids? Um, encourage them to allow the feeling of embarrassment. And instead of saying, oh, honey, don't feel better. You're so pretty. You're so good. You're so, you're so smart, whatever it is. Sit down and say, wow, that sounds painful. How does it feel? Can you tell me exactly how that feels? Oh, okay. So do you agree with the kids who mocked you or with, your, with the ideas that you're thinking? Do you think they're true? Um, and allow them to find their own equanimity and sit with them in stillness. Remember that Hafiz quote, troubled then stay with me for I am not. If you've done your own work to burn your own ego through mindfulness and equanimity, you'll be there for your kids and you'll be able to have, be like a solid rock that they can like stand on to find their own mindfulness and equanimity. And that will be a great gift that you can offer them. Susanna says, is it possible that embarrassment is our body's way of telling us that a boundary was crossed? For example, boundaries allow us to make sure we share our vulnerabilities with trusted people. Does embarrassment tell us, whoops, this was not a trustworthy situation or person and I need to recalibrate my boundaries? It could. As you watch with equanimity and as you bring mindfulness to it, you can see places maybe where you think, oh, actually that was more than my values really treasured. For example, maybe I said something about, uh, this guy was asking me about all my exes and whatnot. And uh, not that I have a ton of those, but like 
fortunately, I did not go into any details about other people's lives. I stuck with talking about my own because to talk about somebody else does feel like a moral, mm, a, a transgression in the sense it means going over a line. So yeah, you find your lines, you make your lines, and nobody's perfect. So if your embarrassment tells you, oh yeah, you might want to pull that back from that next time. But the rest of it, even having done that, even saying, okay, I made a mistake, the only way that remains a torment is if the ego stays where it is. If you let it burn, if you say, yeah, I made a mistake and I'm embarrassed about it. All right, how big is the embarrassment right now? Where's it going? What's it doing? Oh, look, it's chewing up my ego. Thank you, embarrassment. What a gift. So I hope you all have embarrassing moments this week that you can use to practice because this is a really, really interesting little way to burn up our egos and get that much closer to the end of suffering, um, which is also called enlightenment. So I hope that happens to you this week. Hope you have a full enlightenment this week. Be sure to let me know about it. I love you guys, and I can't wait to see you again. So long for this week. Bye. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 